We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know, it's a common misconception that drinking eight glasses of water a day is enough for healthy hydration. But sweat consists of water and sodium, which means that you need water plus electrolytes to stay properly hydrated. Thankfully, there are products like Element that have all your electrolyte needs covered. You can try an Element Recharge Sample Pack by going to drinklmnt.com slash Alexi for only the cost of shipping. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. Uh, This week, we'll be talking Euros, Copa America, U.S. Women's National Team, Tequila Sunrise, all sorts of stuff out there, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Tuesday, June 15th? Uh, please forgive us. We have delayed the podcast for a day. Uh, I think we can be forgiven, given all of the soccer, and we are already knee-deep into Copa America coverage over at Fox. How you doing, Mossy? I'm doing well. Uh, first off, a facial hair update, because Jeff Hernandez has told me a couple of YouTube commenters are actually interested in this. I was not going to shave this morning. I decided at the last minute to shave, and I did so so quickly that I cut myself. So I'm actually in quite a bit of pain right now as we tape this pod. What kind of razor do you use? I know inquiring minds want to know. Oh, just your normal Gillette. Uh, okay, it's nothing fancy no. or anything or single blade or triple blade. Yeah. I don't know what, what, what we have all that. I mean, a long time ago, I, uh, I well, my shaving history is, is obvious from a, a you know, aesthetic perspective um, or, or lack of history, shall we, shall we say. But when I do shave, I don't always shave right down to the skin. I just leave a little bit... Uh, of stubble to avoid, uh, you know, the ingrown hairs and, uh, and that kind of stuff. And I've done that for years. Uh, second note, uh, spoke to my father who really chastised me. He said that I have not been holding up my end of the bargain in these opening TV segments on the pod that you come every week with three or four different things. And I very often tell you, I have nothing new to talk about. So he thinks I need to step up my TV game. 
Well, are you going to listen to him uh, uh, this week? Because we might as well just dive right into it. Have you watched anything? Like I said, I, I know we've been knee deep and, and especially you, Mossy, and a, a, a big thank you uh, already. And we're only a couple days into Copa America, but you are so important for everything that we do in making us look just halfway intelligent uh, in terms of all of your information. And I know that you have been running around and it's not always easy for some of these tournaments and there's different levels and different teams have different uh, access and information when it comes to it. How uh, are you able to watch anything? Are you able to take your mind off of the Copa in this instance? Uh, nothing new this past week, but I have decided what my next binge is going to be. It's going to be Downton Abbey, which is a show I've never <sighs> seen and I've always been told that I would love it. And so as soon as I get some breathing room here this summer, uh, that's definitely going to be the next binge. Well, I, I am sure that, you know, given the popularity of that show and the way that it inhabited um, our, our culture, I'm sure that there are gasps at the fact that you are doing this, that you haven't done it before and or what you're uh, what you're going to take out of it. Should I do it with you? Maybe I'll do it with you. Um, do, do we know how long it is? I mean, is it epically long, like a Game of Thrones type of thing? Yeah, I think it's five or six seasons and... Uh 10 episodes. I mean, that's bingeable though. I can do that. I mean, I can do that. I mean, I, I did, uh, what's the one about the meth, uh, guy, uh, uh, breaking, bad. breaking bad. I mean, I did that, you know, where I wasn't even sleeping. It was basically <laughs> just, just binging that, um, binging, a uh, I stayed up, didn't sleep, uh, and binged watching a show about a lot of people staying up and <laughs> not sleeping. And you loved and it, right? Bad things. I loved it. Yeah, I did. Uh, I really liked it. But I know you like better uh, call Sal or better ask Sal or whatever the other one is. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure which one I like best, but the, the mere fact that it's even a debate is really a testament to better call Saul because Breaking Bad was is up there top three or four shows of all time for me. And I never thought a prequel to it could be as good, but they've somehow managed to pull that off. All right. I am going to join you then. Uh, and we have not planned this, but uh, I am going to join you in the Downton, Downton Abbey quest to binge and finish that my wife is going to be so excited and happy um or not who knows uh, a couple of things that i watched this past week um a couple of older movies actually tequila sunrise which came out in the 80s starring mel gibson and uh, kurt russell and michelle pfeiffer it was actually filmed around the areas here in los angeles uh, uh where i happen to live and so it was really fun to see some of that it holds up to to a certain extent um it's not going to win any awards, but it was fun. And then a movie that I had never seen. Um, it was one of those that just kind of flicked through. It came out in 1998, starred Clive Owen called Croupier. And it is really, really good, Mossy. I, I definitely recommend it. If you've seen it, then you are nodding your head right now because uh, you know how how good it was. And interesting and really quirky and 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 different. Um, and if you haven't seen it, uh, definitely two thumbs up recommendation. Croupier uh, starring Clive Owen from 1998. Eight. All right, listen, should, should we get into it? Should we, uh, should we bring in Luis? Because he, I mean, we had a hell of a weekend, but he had a hell of a weekend. Uh, for those that, uh, that are here in the United States and certainly watch a lot of uh, Fox, you will know that the Westminster Dog Show is upon us, this annual event. And it, it always, it doesn't matter whether you are into showing of dogs or not, you will be mesmerized the moment that you start watching it. We were in the green room for our Copa America shows, just glued to both the soccer on one screen and then the Westminster Dog Show. And Luis had an opportunity actually to work it. Uh, how was it, my friend? It was the most incredible experience I think I've had here at Fox. Um, I got to make a whole bunch of 
um, edits for TV and all it was was just a bunch of cute dogs on screen. It was incredible, especially with the agility challenge. Uh, absolutely insane what I got to see. And also I saw a familiar face there, John Strong, and I was very surprised to see him there. <laughs> He, he's actually done it for a couple of years, and I remember when he first got the gig. And there's this, there's this moment where you say, well, is that good or bad? Believe me, it is good because it gets ridiculously awesome numbers. Uh, the, the way that it kind of permeates throughout society and culture when, it, when it's happening, you, you'll get, you know, I, I certainly got, I got dog show, dog show, dog show uh, texts uh, when it, whenever it happens. Because, you know, those of us who don't follow dog showing, we don't know when it actually happens, but then all of a sudden it shows up and all hell breaks loose. And to your point, you know, it's this weird culture and they get it. And I think that they, they laugh at themselves as much as at times we laugh at them. But once you get past that and you just enjoy the, you know, the excitement and, and from, from the, uh, you know, by all accounts and what you're saying, you know, the people there are genuinely excited that even for once, once a year, the world kind of looks at their interesting quirky little world that, that they live in and celebrates it and we're yeah there's some funny things but you can take any sport or any anything out there and, and, and laugh at it but we are we are laughing with them uh when we are laughing and we're also crying and screaming and yelling and it's just an amazing thing from the outside i can't even imagine what it was uh on, on the inside did you have a favorite uh i love plop oh my god plop was amazing to to see him do the agility run for the mixed breeds it, he was just like incredibly fast um, that was definitely my favorite. And like you're saying, everyone there was incredibly nice to us. Everybody wanted to talk to us and like they were open to interviews and they were they knew how to have a laugh and like enjoy the the event. No one took it too seriously and everyone was there to have fun. Um, and then going back to John Strong, it was incredible to see him. Actually, I was doing a video for social where he like walked from the WKC set all the way into the back into the green room to call a game for Copa America. And I think John Strong is maybe the fastest walker on the planet. I was sprinting backward to get that video <laughs> and I could not keep up. I was literally out of breath by the time he got into the booth. <laughs> he uh, usually on the other end of that walk is either an airplane and or food. OK, <laughs> and I've been there. I, I believe me, I know it. Uh, and he is a machine and he's wonderful. And it's so much fun to hear him calling anything to be to be quite honest. So congratulations. Yeah. Masi, you got something? Yeah, a couple of notes for me. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had to script something for the dog show. And it was it was conveyed to me that you better get the verbiage right. And the way they what they said to me was, have you seen the movie The Best in Show? They're much crazier than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and the other thing I, I do want to mention is some of our download numbers for this podcast have been very good lately. And I know Kristen Scott, our boss, thinks that it has to do with the U.S. national team. But uh, we've been having Luis Aguilar on the air a lot lately. And I think this might be the Luis bump. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> I think not. Well, welcome. Welcome back. And thank you for uh, you know, letting us know uh, uh, how it went out there. It was, it was fun to watch. Uh, I'm glad that you are back safe and sound and we'll do it all again next week. And, and maybe uh, just a little bit of a lesson uh, in terms of the soccer culture that we inhabit. You know, I talk so much about making sure that you're not doing anything to be snobby and elitist and exclusive. Doesn't mean you have to dumb it down, but just being as inviting as possible and 
literally, when it comes to the Westminster Dog Show, they are inviting you into the tent. And uh, it should be noted that this year's uh, was not in New York City. It was outside, um, and uh, it, it looked it looked great. They did a, a did a wonderful job. So I look forward to uh, to that. Even my dog Bob, seventeen year old uh, Yorkshire Terrier, five pounds of fury. Even he was mesmerized by what was going on on the screen. Uh, anything else, Luis? Uh, I just want to say that when I was right before I went on the road, I had a lot of editors from our team tell me how much they love the movie segment and how much uh, Mossy never misses. So I think Mossy, if your dad's giving you trouble about like what your recommendations are, you're not giving enough. It's a quality versus quantity issue. So you never miss, according to a lot of people I've talked to. And so now he's come with Downton Abbey. I mean, <laughs> take that, <Jesus>. dad. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, it sounds like Mossy has some work to do. All right. Thank you, uh, Luis. All right. Listen, we got plenty of soccer to talk about here. Uh, I really like this candle, Mossy. Yep. All right. We're going to jump right in and we're going to start actually with the Euros because uh, not because it's better or worse than anything else that's going on out there. But obviously it was a huge, huge uh, news story with uh, the incredibly uh, just uh, amazing events with Christian Eriksen uh, that were that were they were so tragic. Certainly in the time uh, they have since, uh, you know, it's not it's not a happy end because he's still in hospital, but it could have been a whole lot worse. And it uh, it transcended the sport. You saw it on the nightly news, and I'm sure everybody that's listening or watching here uh, saw when Christian Eriksen, a uh, you know a player for Denmark, went down. And we have seen this before where players uh, without any type of um, contact or anything have just gone down um, and experienced cardiac arrest. And uh, it was, uh, I mean, the scenes and, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the the production side of it because that's, you know, the business and the world that we live in. But there's just the scenes from where I was sitting uh, on the couch um, were, uh, were, as I said, um, just amazing. Uh, in in the in the worst possible way, and the entire stadium, which they do have fans over there in the Euros, in in many of these stadiums, uh, was quiet. The way that both teams acted in literally protecting their teammate in a moment where he was um, in such a vulnerable and naked and sensitive. Um, moment was was amazing um mossy were you watching it live i was yeah one of the most uh disturbing things i've ever seen in my life uh made me think of the fabrice muamba situation which we we covered at at fox soccer many years ago uh a a non-soccer reference would be hank gathers um many many years ago uh, so yeah, incredibly scary. And I'm, I'm so relieved that, that he's alive. And as you said, it's not a happy ending, but it, it definitely could have been worse. Well, I was, you know, I was talking to someone at the end of the day because I, I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but it, it stuck with me. And this person that I was talking to actually brought it up and says, and said, you know, I'm still thinking about this, you know, such were the, the, the impact of those pictures that we, that we saw that it, it didn't, it didn't leave you. Even when you got news that he was awake, it still left you, you know, shaking to the core well beyond uh, after the uh, the broadcast and the game and the event uh, and the event was done. I was talking to this person and, and, and I said, you know, the only way that I can even, you know, make it into something better is to think about how bad it could have been had he been, I mean, pick your place out there. 
And other than actually being in a hospital, he was a very, very lucky man to be to have that happen in that place where you had the personnel uh, and you had the equipment. And more importantly, you had the knowledge and the ability to work that equipment and uh, the understanding of what to do. And whether it was the professionals or whether it was his uh, his teammates uh, in the way that they quickly acted, whether it was the referees, uh, whether it was you know anybody, anybody that played a part in that uh, it could have been it could have been worse. And uh, so thankful and thank you to everybody that was on the ground in that moment to do everything they possibly can to make this a, a, a better outcome. And ultimately, when we saw him sitting up and uh, we learned that he had gone to the hospital and that he was uh, awake and, you know, now they're going to figure out what's going on. And I, I had a lot of people ask me about, you know, the, you know, all the tests and all of the medical know-how um, that, uh, that athletes are involved with in nowadays. You know, why, why, does, why does this happen? Look, the human body, as we all know, and I'm, I'm not a doctor, but we all know is we are still learning things about it. And there's only so much that you can, that you can possibly do. I hope that they're going to get to the bottom of this. You know, who knows if he ever steps on a soccer field uh, again, if he feels comfortable or if he is given the clearance to do something like that. But just because you have a, a medical, a physical or something like that doesn't necessarily mean that everything is going to be, uh, everything's going to be, uh, going to be found. Um, all right. So that's, you know, that's the, the human experience that we all had in that, uh, in that moment. Uh, you know, you can, as, as was, as you can expect, um, then, uh, you know, the, uh, the post event and even during the event, the analysis and oftentimes the criticism of how this played out and the production decisions and the directing decisions that went in. And this was being broadcast obviously uh, here in the United States where we're, where we're watching it. Uh, on ESPN, and you're taking you're taking a world feed, and I mean honestly, I don't know I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, yes, there are different decisions that could have been made uh, by whether it's you know our friends at ESPN or the world feeder or, or anybody else in there. But this is all happening in in real time, and you know you are there to document an event. Okay, yes, of course you have to be sensitive, and yes, of course you have to make. Uh, uh, decisions that take into account that these are human beings that are going through uh, going through this event. How did you think, in general, it was it was produced and directed and and broadcast? I I thought they did as well as they could under the circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I echo what you said. We've been there. I remember a few years ago we did that Champions League game with Dortmund where a bomb exploded uh, near the team bus when they were on their way to the stadium, and that turned into kind of a surreal broadcast where we're trying to figure out, do we shift into just full-blown news mode here? What's our responsibility as a sports uh, group? And, 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 yeah, those situations are just so tough. And, you know, just know that whatever mistakes you think they made, it didn't come from a bad place. Everybody there, I'm sure, was just trying to do what they thought was appropriate. And, and you have to make tough calls in the moment. And uh, they, they did it the way they did. And I, I thought it was overall done, done well. Uh, okay. So we, you know, the, the players take a break. Uh, evidently, and this is all kind of coming out different ways, whether it's from UEFA or whether it's from, uh, from the players, they were given options. They chose to take a break and then come back on the field, uh, and finish the game. 
and you know, ultimately the uh, the the uh, the tournament continued and has continued on. So let's shift a little bit to the actual uh, to the actual soccer part of it, Mossy. What stood out to you in the first well first week here now of uh, uh, of Euros that are going on? Well, I was very high on Italy coming into this tournament, uh, and they had an impressive debut. I thought three 0 win over Turkey in Rome. Immobile and Insigne finding the back of the net, uh, unbeaten in twenty seven. Mancini has them playing very well, so I think they are a legitimate threat to win this competition. Also impressed with Belgium, three 0 win over Russia. Two goals by Lukaku, picking up where he left off with Inter this past season. Keep in mind, De Bruyne didn't play, and Hazard only came on in the second half and looked good, by the way, which had Real Madrid fans scratching their heads. So if Hazard is Hazard at this tournament and they add De Bruyne to the mix with Lukaku playing the way he's playing, uh, they are a major threat as well. So I'll, I'll pause there. But why don't we discuss the Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I was a little disappointed in, uh, in, in Russia um, and maybe – you know, if it's not a World Cup, it's not a World Cup. They don't have that uh, that magic that we saw uh, when uh, you know during during the World Cup. But of course, like you said, they're Belgium. I mean, coming into this this tournament, the the strange fact was, uh, you know, Eden Hazard wasn't the best Hazard uh, and was <laughs> was uh, even playing right now. But to see him come in and to be a, a almost a, a different player. Yes, it's got to be strange for people, and and importantly, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, to Real Madrid, you know the Netherlands, uh, they're a strange team, and they are always. I mean, there's this perpetual feeling that the Netherlands, regardless of how well they do, they should be better, and that persists. And they they made it they made it interesting, and I guess Ukraine made it interesting. Ultimately, the Netherlands under Frank de Boer, and Frank de Boer is is. You know, fallen up in many uh, many occasions here, and he he rightfully I think has taken uh, plenty of criticism. Ultimately, he'll be judged on the wins and losses out there. They fi- they do get the win against the the Ukraine, but it needn't have been this close uh, and this interesting, uh, if you will. Um, you want to move to the England game? Because, yeah, absolutely. You know, I thought solid debut for England, the better team from start to finish. Uh, I know. Some people were nitpicking the performance. Uh, it's interesting. He's got so much talent at his disposal, and, and, and I was curious to see how he would use it. So Foden and Mount started uh, along with Sterling and, and, and Kane, and he left Rashford and Sancho on the bench. Rashford came on. Also, Jude Bellingham, who I think could be a very good player for England in this tournament. So uh, it, it is an embarrassment of riches for England in terms of talent, and, but we've got to see how Southgate is going to use it all. So I was very curious to see that lineup in the first game, but he got it right. They played well, and they get three points. And it should be said, we are recording this on Tuesday morning. Uh, as we speak, hung- Hungary and Portugal are uh, 0-0 in the 80th minute. So by the time you listen to this, obviously the game will be done. We'll see if uh, what happens there. And then the following game, uh, the big game, I guess, if you will, in this, I mean, you can definitely call this a group of death, that, uh, a, a group that has Hungary, Portugal, um, France and Germany. France and Germany kick off. Uh, care to, because people are going to listen to this, care to make a, uh, a prediction as to how this France- uh, Germany game plays out. Uh, I will go. With, I'm picking Germany. It's by the in way. I'm, Munich. I'm pick I will go with a draw. Uh, I, I'm sneaky high on Germany. Uh, I think they're yeah. gonna they're gonna surprise people in the tournament. I still like that squad on paper. I know they've had their struggles, and so uh, I think they get a draw here in this one. Okay, uh, that, that's uh, that's a good that's a good. Uh, let me one. say by the uh, way, any other uh, scores out there you want to talk about? Well, yeah, the other game in the England group, uh, the Czech Republic beat Scotland two 0 Both goals by Patrick Schick including one from the halfway line. And let me say this, 
Um, I know David Beckham scored against Wimbledon, Carly Lloyd against Japan, but the historical reference here should still be Pele, Czechoslovakia, 1970. It doesn't matter that he didn't score. He was the first to even conceive of trying to score from the halfway line. So let's give the great man his credit. And there's even some symmetry here because that was against Czechoslovakia and this was Czech Republic doing this. So uh, that should have been the the historical reference. Uh, But yeah, an incredible goal from Sheik. Yeah. I mean, the way that he took it, the angle, uh, the precision, I mean, just the, the wherewithal in that moment to recognize. And we all know that when you're on the field and you're playing the game, you are taking constant snapshots and then you are making your decisions relative to those, even though within those milliseconds that have passed, things have changed. But you are you are calculating that into it. And so for him to in that moment, recognize after that deflection of the shot coming the other way to understand the trajectory, understand where the goalkeeper was, where he is, and then just the you know the pure skill and technical ability uh, to hit that shot. It was it was wonderful, and immediately you know Twitter blows up and everybody's going crazy as as they should because it is the goal of the tournament so far, and. It's rightfully one of those one of those moments in the same way that, you know, when we're working a tournament at Fox and and somebody does something big, you know that it's going to be, especially in this day and age, viral. It's going to go around the world as as that was. And we all want those. We all want those uh, those moments because they are great advertisements, not just for the game or the or the uh, or the player that's involved, but for the tournament uh, that's going on. And it's worth it. And And if you haven't seen it. Where you been? Uh, last game I do want to mention is Spain-Sweden, which was remarkable. Uh, from a Spain perspective, I guess the positive would be uh, you talk about a country that's really established an identity of how they play. The, the, the cast of characters might change, but, but they still play the same way. And for them to rack up 86% possession, and at one point in the middle of the first half, they put the graphic up, it was 91% to nine. And, you know, they're facing Sweden, who are not like the Faroe Islands. And for them to dominate that game to that degree was impressive, especially considering the buildup to this tournament, all the issues they had with COVID. Uh, so in that respect, give Spain credit, but they were not able to find the back of the net. It ended nil-nil. And you think to yourself, man, back in the glory days, they had all that tiki-taka stuff, but they also had a David Villa, Fernando Torres to put it away. Now it's Alvaro Morata up there, not quite the same. And so you do wonder if they lack that, uh, you know, final touch. And, and that game against Sweden was reminiscent of the 2018 World Cup round 16 against Russia. They went out on penalties and that was a game where uh, they set a World Cup record. It was in 120 minutes, but they, it was over a thousand passes that game. And yet uh, they ended up getting eliminated. So uh, Spain have become that sort of classic tiki-taka team with no end product, you know, that, that people talk about. So uh, they, yeah, they have I mean, to find, you know, sp- yeah, I mean, look, that's Spain has always been, you know, death by a thousand cuts, right? A thousand uh, paper cuts or whatever. But ultimately, the death was always there. And and to your point, that possession with purpose and the purpose ultimately doesn't matter who you are. And you can ask anybody who is enamored uh, with uh, Tiki Taka or, 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 or possession from from Pep to Iniesta or whoever. They all recognize that the purpose of having this possession is ultimately to create the opportunities to put the ball on the ball on the back of the net. And if they're not doing it, like you said, against a team like like Sweden, I'm, I'm not as as concerned or or worried about them. But. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody's going out on a limb saying that this is not the the finished product, literally the finished product of putting the ball in the back of net or the finished product of a of a Spain team relative to the the great ones that we've seen. Yeah, when we did our little predictions last week, I didn't have Spain in my top 2 in that group, and I I've already 
think that's ridiculous on my part. I, I do think they'll finish in the top two in this group after watching that game. They're clearly the best team in, in that group. So, uh, okay. Anything else, uh, Euro, uh, Euro wise. And, and look, I want to, I want to reiterate, you know, just before we, we, we finish this, you know, we are in a very competitive business and we as human beings are competitive. And so, yes, you know, we work for Fox and, I've worked for ESPN in the past and everybody at some point works for different people, uh, different people out there. And, you know, we are, are soccer fans. And so I'm getting up in the morning like you are, uh, Mossy, and we're, we're watching soccer and we're watching the Euros and I have it, I have it on here. We are in, we are enjoying that. And yes, we continue on and we have the Copa America and, and Gold Cup and different stuff, uh, different stuff that goes on. And it's, and it's real easy, and it's part of the part of the gig. You understand that people are going to criticize you, and you know why did you hit, why did you use that shot, and why didn't you cut here, and why are you using this talent, uh, and why is this studio look like this, or all all that all that kind of stuff. Ultimately, a tournament situation. And you know we have uh, you know we have a wonderful uh, boss at Fox that talks about how uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint, and it is, and it's in totality ultimately, and. When you are digesting this on a day-to-day basis, it's then at the end of all that how you feel, uh, how the presentation was. And it's subjective. There's some, some people are like it for this reason or that reason. Some people don't like it for this reason or that, or that reason. But the fact is that we live in a time in 2021, June 15, 2021 in the United States, where the abundance of soccer and the ease in which we are able to watch it is unprecedented. And it's awesome. Uh, especially for you know someone who's been around for a while and can compare and contrast and and tell you that it wasn't always like this and it's a it's a wonderful thing even with the moving to streaming and all that kind of stuff still still the accessibility that we have and the money that's being thrown into it and the um, the, the serious way in which people look at soccer as uh, uh, broadcasting as a business and as a viable business and something that they want to be in. And that's, you're seeing it in all the different people that are getting involved. Uh, that's a good thing. Doesn't mean you can't criticize and doesn't mean we're not going to criticize whether it's something that I say or something that Fox does or something ESPN or NBC or CBS or any of the folks out there uh, that are doing it. But ultimately there's a lot of soccer on this summer and I'm glad that we're able to uh, access it. All right, Masi, uh, should we move to Copa? Let's do it. All right. So, uh, you know, as we mentioned, uh, you know, this Copa America is unlike anything else uh, in the way that it has all come about with, uh, you know, the fact that we didn't know how or when or where this was going to ultimately happen. And it's moved all over the place. And now we find ourselves uh, down in Brazil in front of uh, or, or in uh, in empty stadiums, uh, but still with some of the great players and the great teams in the world. Now, Copa America you know, oftentimes we'll talk here in, in, in the United States uh, about CONCACAF and what CONCACAF is and CONCACAF after dark. Copa America, uh, you know, has a lot of its really unique type of traits. And it's, it's, not, it's not quite as, as polished as other, as other tournaments out there. But that doesn't make it any less interesting. It actually, it makes it, there's a, uh, there's a raw, gritty, dirty type of feel to the presentation and the actual play on the field. And I think that's relative to, especially the South American style of play. And familiarity breeds contempt, right? All of these players and teams, they know each other. And you may have gone on and starred different places, but when you come back and it's happening with just the Comnable teams, the 10 teams uh, on the field, there is 
a level of respect, but it's not reverence. Uh, and whether it's the way they treat Neymar or the way they treat Messi or anybody else uh, out there. And it's fun to see it play out. And we're already off to the races when it comes to this tournament where Neymar scored uh, and Messi has uh, and Messi has scored. And right now, I think, uh, as we said last week, it is Brazil's uh, Brazil's to lose. They came out and without a problem against, it has to be said, a completely undermanned um, and vulnerable Vino Tinto in Venezuela. Got the 3-0 uh, win. Um and are well on their well on their way right now. Uh, initial impressions so far on the tournament, Mossy. Well, the VAR reviews certainly take longer than they do at the Euros. I think the voice you might hear the most often this summer is Dr. Joe Macknick. He's getting quite the workout. Uh, but why do you think that is? Why do you think that there's that it takes so long? Is it a cultural thing? Is it a technology thing? Is it uh, the thing that a, bugs me? A lack of experience with it. How long it takes before the referee decides to run over and look at the play in the monitor? That should be a immediate decision of is this a play that warrants that or not? And then if it does, okay, uh, go over there and then take as much time as you need to decide what the right call is. But it takes that initial step of just determining whether it's a call that can be made upstairs or whether the referee needs to look at it. That takes forever, and I don't understand that. So uh, that that does bug me a little bit. But like I said, it does give Dr. Joe a lot of air time. So that is the one silver lining. <laughs> All right. So what uh, what has stood out to you uh, on the field so far? Considering the circumstances, it's been a pretty good start to the tournament. Ten goals in the first four games. Um, and yeah, the Argentina-Chile game was fascinating, uh, especially on the heels of watching Brazil the day before. I'm somebody who thinks the gap between Brazil and Argentina is a bit exaggerated. I don't think Brazil is quite as good as the numbers indicate, but I will say to the extent that there is a gap, uh, the difference is at the back. When we talk about Neymar and Messi supporting cast, we tend to think of other attacking players that can help them create and score goals. But in that conversation about supporting cast, we should include the defending and the ability to protect leads that Neymar and Messi uh, give them. And that's where Brazil has a real edge. Brazil is rock solid back there. You have terrific goalkeeping play with Allison or Ederson, uh, very strong center backs, Thiago Silva when he's fit, uh, Marquinhos, Edemiritão. The fourth center back, Felipe, is a starter for Atletico Madrid. You've got Casemiro protecting that back line or Sometimes it'll be Fabinho. Even the fullbacks, they're not as good going forward as Brazilian fullbacks of the past, but the silver lining of that is they don't go up as much, so they're not defensive liabilities. Danilo is a completely different player than somebody like Danny Alves would be. He's almost like an extra center back on the field. And so it does mean that Brazil, it's almost like a, a baseball team with this great bullpen where if they have a lead in the sixth or seventh inning, you know the game's over. And so Neymar really only has to have that one moment. Uh, there was a qualifier recently against Paraguay in which he scored in the third minute. And then Brazil did tack up on a goal very late in stoppage time to make it 2-0, but they didn't have to. It was one of those games we're watching. You felt like if they, these two teams were out there for four hours, Paraguay uh, was never going to score. So Neymar's job was essentially done in, in the first three minutes of the game. While Messi, you feel like, has to come up with two or three moments because at, after the first one, the defense gives it up again. And so that's where, you know, if that was Brazil yesterday, uh, you know, and Neymar scores that free kick that Messi did, they'd probably go on to win the game 1-0. And we're talking about how great Messi was. Instead, the discussion afterwards was, could he have done more? And should he have found a way in the second half to get his team over? The so it is a little hard on Messi in that respect. It, it is. And, you know, when you watch this team, that sinking feeling that, that Argentina seems to get. And what's, that's three games now in a row where they've had the lead and, uh, and they've blown it. And, you know, this is a team that's subbing in 
Di Maria and, Agu- and Aguero. So to your point, there's plenty of firepower. But if they're just going to run and gun and try to outscore people, that's all fine and well until you go to that well and, it, and, it's, and it's dried. And, you know, Chi-Chi will be the first person to tell you that his first priority for one of the great attacking teams in the world was, I got to shore this defense up. And it has made a world of difference. And, and absolutely, I agree with you that that is the major difference. I don't know what that gap is right now between Brazil and Argentina. I, I do think that there, that there is one. And if they were playing right now, your safe money is still on Brazil for a, for a number of different things. But even if it was a whole lot closer than people, uh, than people believe it is, this still, I, I would still come out on the side of, uh, uh, of defense. Look, Messi scored a... Uh, <laughs> A set piece, a wonderful free kick goal. Uh, people saw it around the world as they should. Uh, you know, I was on on air and, and I was talking about how the fact that, you know, we his his greatest feat, Messi's greatest feat may be in that he has made us take what he does for granted. And um, he has been doing it so long. And I talk about this all the time. You know, stars are the ones that when everybody is watching, when everybody is expecting you to do something that only you can do, you still step up and do it. And how many times have we seen where a quote-unquote star, in that moment when you need him or her to be there, you know, goes missing? Or in that penalty, or in that set piece that goes into the, the 40th row or something like that. And yet, it, in that moment, time stood still. We all watched it. There was that wonderful camera shot from behind as Messi as as Messi hit it. Was is it what is his, was it his best free kick that he's ever hit? No, but up and down and beautiful. And the comparisons that I know we we showed on air and uh, are on social media between that goal and back in uh, what was it eighty seven nineteen eighty seven against Ecuador nineteen eighty seven Diego Maradona. Uh, scoring a goal very, very similar in, in in Copa America, so much so that even the celebration, it was eerie and uncanny in terms of how much it mirrored. And if you, had, if you haven't seen it, I, I tweeted it out. Go back, uh, go back and check it out. And, and I should say that, you know, in this inevitable narrative of Messi trying to win his first major championship, he's 0-9, and the inevitable compare and contrast with, <laughs> with Diego Maradona, the um, you know the uh, the virtual hologram Diego Maradona tribute before the game, which was actually very very moving, but it just served to very very uh, you know blatantly show how much he is still there and how much Messi, whether he cares or not, who knows, but he is still to a certain extent chasing this this legend and this ghost and he is never far from anybody's mind what'd you think of the uh uh, the presentation and the tribute beforehand uh it was it was well done yeah it started off a little looked like more of a dance video type feel rather than you know an eulogy for a guy that passed away but then they made a turn there and it actually became quite moving when when he they showed him juggling the ball and and yeah so i think overall it, it it was nicely done well i think it's i think it's also I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't want to make it somber and, and, and too sad. And, and, and listen, let's be, let's be honest. You know, one of the great videos and pictures of Diego Maradona is that if, if you ever seen him warming up in Serie A to the, to the music and, and stuff like that with his shoes untied and all that. It was or, in 1989. I, mean, I think so, that was before a UEFA Cup game in 1989. Yeah. I mean, so if you haven't, check it out because it, it shows 
the music and the rhythm and the band ultimately. And so maybe that was, you know, a little bit tribute in, uh, in terms of what they were doing. One last thought on Brazil and Argentina. I do like that Argentina midfield with Paredes, Los Celso and DePaul. That's a nice little trio they have there. That's going to be able to control most games. And I don't think Chichi's getting it right in some of those midfield spots. I do worry Chichi's developed a little bit of this mad scientist streak. And the problem is I felt this way about Pep Guardiola with, when he was in the Bundesliga with Bayern, when you're better than all the teams you face, anything you try kind of sort of, works out. And so you get sort of a false sense of, you know, and then when you do come up in a World Cup, let's say next year against a really good team, you know, you might try something that actually won't work against that caliber of opposition. So I'm still not sold on Fred as that second central midfielder. There are several players, Douglas Luiz, who's on this squad, I would prefer over him. And then you have Gerson and Bruno Guimarães who are on the Olympic team. Artur, who I know everybody's down on, but I still would take him over Fred. I know Chichi likes Fred's range defensively uh, to cover for that left back, especially when it's Hinalaji bombing forward. But I'm still not so afraid. And I also don't like Lucas Paqueta, who's a player who Ali Wagner is super high on. I know he had a good season at Lyon. He's versatile, so he's a useful player to have in the squad. But he's okay at several positions. There's none where he's good enough, in my view, to be a starter for Brazil. So there are a couple of midfield spots there where I think Chichi still has to get it right. If if Brazil and Argentina played in a game tomorrow, I actually think it's closer to a 50-50 than, than most people think. I, like I said, I don't I don't see this this decided edge in Brazil's favor, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out. All right, before we take a break, another peek behind the curtain and, and we get into, you know, the industry type of, uh, of decisions and stuff like that. And this is, this is nothing new. And so this might be kind of a, a refresher and a reminder for folks out there. We are the English language broadcaster for the United States. Uh, obviously, in the United States here, uh, we have Major League Soccer and we have lots of players that are involved in Copa America. Uh, and other tournaments out there, but in our case, we're broadcasting Copa America that are from uh, from Major League Soccer, either are playing now or have played that. So there is that instant connection. And once again, trying to give the viewer something to grab onto, all right? He or she that is totally into Copa America, they're there. They're not going anywhere. But there may be others that are looking for something out there to grab a hold to when it comes to watching Copa America. And so you're damn... They're damn right. We're, we are going to play that up. And, you know, whether, you know, yesterday, Miguel Almiron, who isn't even playing in MLS anymore or any other player that, that that's out there, uh, that is something that uh, you're leaving something on the plate if you don't go for that. And it would be dumb for us or anybody else not to play it up. And I know, Masi, you have some thoughts on this because you watch you watch a lot of soccer around there. And and I know at times people are saying, oh, why? Why should you know, why are you talking about this player? Why is, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, this this broadcaster or this this uh, this talent? Why are you mentioning this or that? It doesn't doesn't matter. Yeah, it does matter. It actually it actually does matter. There is a sense of connection. Um, there is a sense of pride. And most importantly, when that connection is made, there is a greater chance that maybe that person is going to stick around and watch that game. And we are all about getting as many people into that tent uh, as possible, as I've mentioned time after time. Mossy, go ahead. Has that been a criticism of us? I wasn't aware of that. No, no, no. I mean, it, it just in general, I hear some, uh, you know, sometimes people say, you know, why, why are you, why are you playing, why are you playing that up? And why are you talking about uh, this and that? And, and, the, and, and, and what's behind it is that would only happen here in the U.S. 
And we all we all know that that's not necessarily the case at all. Oh, yeah, I did give a little research presentation before the tournament started to all the talent and producers, and I, and I, I did bring up the MLS thing, and I said, look, if you watch an international tournament in England, it's viewed entirely through the lens of the Premier League. Announcers never miss a chance to point out whether somebody plays in the Premier League, used to play in the Premier League, is being linked to a Premier League club. It's the same thing in Brazil. Uh, I mean, last night, Paraguay played the two starting center backs, both play in Brazil, Junior Alonso and Gustavo Gomez. I'm sure that's what the announcers talked about for most of the game. The Argentina-Chile game, Eduardo Vargas scored. Uh, he plays in, in Brazil now with Atlético Mineiro. I'm sure the Brazilian announcers were talking about that. So uh, it, it's not anything that anybody in this country needs to be embarrassed about. I mean, that, that's how soccer nations act. And for some reason, the United States it sometimes isn't allowed to act like a like other soccer nations. So I think that, that that's the point I made. The, the, before Here, the here's the other here's the other thing. Uh, you know, for for those of you that are MLS fans out there and have your teams, given the history and what's happened with um, with Major League Soccer mining South America. I mean, look, this is a great opportunity to get a look at a lot of players that could possibly be on the radar and could possibly coming to a town near year, uh, new year going forward. So uh, use that. By the way, uh, are you watching this uh, this game as it's happening in real time? Because Portugal is now up three nothing. So <laughs> poor little Hungary and, is getting And how many smashed. of those goals were scored by you know who? Do, do we know? Yeah, right. Uh, well, he definitely has one here. So uh, anyway, anyway. So uh, anything else, Mossy? Uh, a few other miscellaneous things quickly. Okay. Uh, I just mentioned Eduardo Vargas, uh, who scored the equalizer for Chile. That was his 13th career Copa America goal, 39th overall for Chile. He is a fascinating player to me because his international pedigree is so much more impressive than his club pedigree. He's frankly been something of a journeyman at club level and yet somehow always turns it on for these major national tournaments. The guy he reminds me of is Lucas Podolski. He was the same way. Podolski is up there all-time caps and goal-scoring leaders for Germany a, a long, a, alongside guys that are much greater legends than him. And I don't think Lukas Belski had that great a club career, but but you look at the Germany stats and they, they really jump out. So it's funny how there, there are certain players like that. Um, and then a couple of things. Uh, very proud of an element we ran yesterday uh, the, we, we did the Paraguay game there coached by Eduardo Berizzo, who's a Marcelo Bielsa disciple. So we did a little thing on the Bielsa coaching tree and pointed out the fact that when Bielsa was the head coach of Newell's old boys in the early nineties, he coached a team that had his players, Eduardo Berizzo, Tata Martino and Mauricio Pochettino. And we found like a neat team picture with all the, all those guys and highlighted them. So very happy we did that. And then this morning I was working on a little piece for Colombia. We have their game coming up against Venezuela. No Hamas at this tournament. We wanted to address that whole controversy, but also spin it to so who should you be watching for in this Colombia team because still a lot of good players that Atalanta pair up top of Zapata and Muriel and obviously Juan Cuadrado Edwin Cardona who got the goal uh, against Ecuador Yeri Mina at the back uh, Miguel Borja who's doing well in the Libertadores uh, Rafael Santos Bored River Plate striker so a lot of guys on this team so Colombia is a, a team I'm, I'm, I'm actually increasingly high on in this competition so I'm looking forward to watching them again uh, coming up all right, so uh, we're back at it on uh, on Thursday with Copa America. We got a couple of days off here, and then uh, we resume our uh, our coverage over there uh, here in the United States on uh, on Fox. So check that out. All right, we're gonna take a real quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna t- uh, discuss the U.S. Women's National Team, which continues its drive uh, to their Olympic appearance this summer. Don't go away. All right, we're back. Uh, in the midst of all of our Copa America coverage, we had a U.S. Women's National Team, a couple of U.S. Uh, women's National Team uh, games as they continue this pathway towards the Olympics. And, you know, why is that important? Well, 
it's important uh, because they're the number one team in the world. They're the best team in the world. They are expected to win each and every game and each and every tournament that they are in, and including this summer when it comes to the Olympics in uh, in Japan. But uh, unlike the World Cup, it is a much smaller roster size. And so therefore, there's the intrigue that is going on and the drama that is going on as to who is going to be there when all is said and done. And given the amount of talent, the depth of talent that the U.S. women's national team has, uh, and the way that they are able to year after year add new players, there is always going to be some question. Uh, and w- inevitably, when that music stops, uh, there are going to be some very, very good and talented players that don't have a chair. And so each game that we see is kind of this you know, continued referendum on what this player is or isn't and whether this player has helped their cause or hurt their cause uh, going forward. Look, there's going to be a lot of the usual sus- suspects without a doubt, uh, as as you can imagine, and a lot of stuff is written in pen. But, you know, even when it comes to someone like uh, Carly Lloyd, there is still questions as to not whether she's good or not. She's still good and arguably even a great player. But is she appropriate for this team? And once again, it's not necessarily the best players. It's the best collection of players uh, going forward. And, and one thing I asked uh, during one of our broadcasts was, Vladko Andonovsky, the head coach of the women's national team, is he doing anything now that is going to hurt the chances of this team winning the next World Cup? And look, Olympics are important. I, I get all that, but that is a shared stage. This women's national team really gets their attention, um, you know, gets gets the media when they own that stage, and that's in the form of the women's World Cup. And so while they never say it, if I asked them, which would you rather win, a gold medal in Olympics or a World Cup? At this point, I would venture to say that almost all of them would say a, a World Cup. It doesn't mean they don't want to win a, a, gold, a gold medal. But once again, we're a year closer to the next World Cup because of the fact that this Olympics was, uh, was delayed. And so my question was and continues to be, what are those decisions that are going to be made regarding personnel and how many of them are with an eye to the next uh, World Cup? Or you just say, you know, it doesn't really matter at this point. We're so good. We're going to win everything anyway, and we'll figure it out in the next uh, in the next couple of years. They don't miss a beat, uh, especially when they're playing against the likes of uh, Nigeria, uh, when they're playing the likes uh, of Jamaica, uh, when they're playing the likes of Portugal. Uh, they have one more game against Nigeria, then they play Mexico twice in this kickoff series before they head over uh, to uh, to the Olympics. Let's be honest, all right? For the most part, 90%, 95% of the time when they when the U.S. women's national team are playing, they are going to beat their opponent and easily beat their opponent. Maybe the best way of judging these players is actually behind closed doors. We are only privy to the games that we see on television. But for Vladko Andonovsky and his, and his staff, the real judgment and the most competition that many of these women will face uh, is behind closed doors when they're playing inter-squad scrim- scrimmages against the best players in the world. So I don't know how much we take out of this, but ultimately this is leading to you know, yet another uh, Olympic, uh, Olympic campaign. Masi, you, uh, you watched the games. Carly Lloyd, does she go? Uh, she does go, uh, by the way, that, that, that goal the other night, uh, two milestones there was after 23 seconds, it was the second fastest goal in us history. And it made her the oldest goal scorer in us history, 38 years, 332 days surpassing Christine Lilly. 
Um, but I, I do think an example of what you're talking about as far as balancing the Olympics and World Cup would be Katarina Macario because she's not a great player now. And somebody like a Christy Mewis might be a more useful player at this Olympics. But I, I think Vladko feels like Macario has a higher ceiling. So if groomed for the next year and change or a couple of years, um, she you know, could, could potentially be like a real difference maker in the summer of 2023. So that, that's an interesting balance. Do you take somebody like Macario to the Olympics? Uh, so, so how do you see that one playing out? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly who, you know, uh, t- the types of players that I'm, uh, that I'm talking about. I, I have, I have no doubt that this team could go and win a gold, a medal without, without Carly Lloyd. I do think that she makes it. Um, you know, she came on and look, Carly Lloyd is fueled by people who doubt her, okay? And at times, uh, at times throughout her career, there have been people who doubt her, all right? And how do we know this? Well, she tells us. She tells us that she sees everything. Uh, I know she sees everything and reads everything. And more importantly, she cares and she uses it as fuel. She knows what makes her tick, and if you want Carly Lloyd to do something, the quickest way and the easiest way of making that happen is to tell her you don't believe that she can. And that's what makes her one of the all-time great soccer players in world history, let's be honest, uh, going forward. But, uh, you know, we talked to Vlatko Andonovsky. He has kept his cards very, very close to his chest, uh, as you would expect when it comes to who ultimately is on this roster. I do think that Carly Lloyd is going uh, is going to be there. And this team is going to go over as the favorites, uh, as the favorites one again, uh, once again. Uh, but once again, you know, what are you doing now that is also going to help you win a couple years from now? And maybe it's a, 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 a you know, a... a a Macario or, 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 or somebody else saying, yeah, you're not necessarily ready for it now, but that experience and, you know, your Brazil team has done that in the past Your Brazil men's national team has brought players that have then gone on to star later on and just get that, get that experience and what it feels like and smells like and, 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 and all of that. And I'm not sure that Laco is looking at this Olympics like that. Um, but you know, once again, if, if, I, if what I believe is true, that the World Cup is the ultimate is the ultimate goal where you get the most bang for your for your buck and you get the most attention and it is where your brand is made, then you better not be doing anything this summer that is going to be detrimental to you possibly winning that third World Cup in a row, which would be incredible. I believe Heather O'Reilly's response to that was spoken like a guy that's never won an Olympic gold medal. Yeah, it was good. I, uh, I appreciated that. I love, look, I, I love, I love Heather and she, uh, she, you know, she, I set her up and she took it. Absolutely. And like any good broadcaster, you should definitely, uh, uh, definitely take it, but we can, you know, we can play that game all, all day, uh, going on about what you have or haven't doing, whether, whether that gives you the authority, um, uh, or the right to be able to discuss or talk about something. I will say we can go back and forth. Last on that. comment, uh, and it just applies to both the men and women with the Olympics. Eighteen is a rough number, especially when you're used to in almost yeah. every other scenario calling, you know, twenty three, twenty four, twenty five, uh, and you know, one of them has to be a backup goalkeeper. So you have your starting eleven and the backup keeper, and then only room for six more subs. So you got to be really smart about how you use them, and, and versatility really goes a long way. And somebody that can fill in in multiple positions. So it's tough on these managers. It's, it's, it's going to be some tough cuts, especially with all the talent that the U.S. has. 
Well, even with all the soccer and, and, the, and the tournaments that we were working, it was, it was fun. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is the last uh, women's national team game that we as Fox are going to do. And I, I, love, I love covering the women's national team. I love covering women's, women's soccer. It's, it's fun for me. I have gained an incredible respect and appreciation for, uh, you know, the culture that exists, the players that, uh, that exists. And whether it's just a, a random friendly with the U.S. Women's National Team that I'm uh, that I'm covering, or or a World Cup, it's always fun. I know there's people out there that <laughs> that that see me, and it's amazing the the reaction sometimes that I get simply because I am uh, a man covering uh, a uh, a women's national team or a women's uh, women's World Cup. The the uh, the hypocrisy and the <laughs> the sanctimony is uh, amazing, and but the not judgment necessarily and the surprising. ridiculousness. And the ridiculousness, of course, exactly, and the judgment, and the ridiculousness, and the outrage—all of that kind of stuff—that uh, that so permeates our 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 uh, our culture nowadays. Anyway, I digress. Mosky, anything else uh, from a U.S. Women's National Team perspective? That's it. All right, we 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 bid them farewell from a Fox perspective until after the uh, Olympics, and we wish them all the luck in the world, and we expect and hope that they bring back uh, that goal. Yet uh, yet another gold for uh, the women's uh, national team. All right, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we have Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. Okay, we're back, and it's time for Ask Alexi. And this week, um, we have all audio questions. You really lit up the, uh, the uh, boards, as they say, with our call-in number. And for those that don't know, it's 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. That is the uh, State of the Union hotline. And you call in, you leave a message. Please tell us your name. Please tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, but do make it efficient, uh, make it brief, as these people did. All right, Masa, we have three questions. Up first, Eric from New Jersey. And Eric says this. Hi, Alexia and Masi. My name is Eric, and I'm from Durham, New Jersey, same town that the great Carly Lloyd and Peter Vermees grew up in. My question is more about a bubble surrounding soccer rather than soccer itself. But I'd like to know how you both got your first opportunities in soccer. Obviously, Alexia, your path is a bit clearer, as you were a player first. But as someone who graduated college last week trying to pursue a career in soccer, whether it be marketing, sales, or media, I'd like to hear how you both got your starts and got to the places you're at today. Any and all details about the connections you made, people you spoke with, or organizations that gave you a chance would be awesome. Thank you for all that you both do, as your podcast helps me relax after stressful days and provides what I see as the best soccer coverage of any podcast in the world. Thank you. All right. Uh, well, first things first. Thank you for the kind words, Eric. That's uh, that, that's wonderful to hear uh, that you listen to the pod and that you appreciate the pod. Um, and I, I do actually get this uh, th- get this question a lot. And while on the surface my path is a lot more obvious, um, I think it I think it's I think it's a good thing to talk about uh, first opportunities in the soccer biz. Uh, so I'll, I'll talk first, Musi, and then I'll, and then I'll throw it over to you because I know our paths are, are a little different. Obviously, a very traditional type of path from a former player is that you did X on the field, and the theory goes that since you were there and you saw the sights and the sounds and felt everything and the smells out there, that you are going to be a, um, a better uh, representation and having more authentic type of voice when it comes to talking about it doesn't always work out like that, but that's uh, that's the theory. And what I tell people all the time is that 
you are going to be given opportunities. And in a certain way, um, you are going to be incredibly fortunate and privileged because those opportunities are coming to you simply because uh, you kicked the ball. Those doors are going to be opened. They are not going to stay open forever. And they might not be open when you want it. And so I, from a very early age in terms of my playing career, was always thinking and always cognizant about the fact that this, this was going to stop. And I even knew when I was playing that it might stop at a time when I'm not ready for it to stop, and I better be ready. And so if there are opportunities, and if there is a jumping off point, you better look at it long and hard. I took a, you know, talk about being fortunate. I took a sabbatical, if you will, a year off from playing soccer. And I think I've talked about it before. I'd, I had burned it at both ends, and I, I needed some, some time. And I, would, and I said, I just can't, I can't play anymore. And I took a year off. And I ended up doing a lot of television, and I really enjoyed it. And that was by design. Uh, it was strategic to get my, get my foot wet and to get in front of a camera and to do some different things. And in doing so, have people that are in the industry see that you can do it. And I went back and played for a, a little bit, but the, the, the seed was planted, if you will. Uh, and then uh, I came to the end of my career, and I was offered opportunities in uh, in the front office. And I wanted to try that and see what that was all about and learn. And I learned a tremendous amount. I've talked a lot uh, about, uh, about that. Immediately, because I had planted the seed years ago, after I got fired from the uh, Los Angeles Galaxy, I immediately started making calls and looking around to different people. And luckily, I was they, they were much more receptive because I had a, a little bit of a track record in that they had seen what I had done Certainly, even in my position in the front offices, you know, I'd been in front of cameras and, and all that kind of stuff. But once again, you still don't know until you, that red light actually, uh, actually turns on. And for a lot of us, you get that opportunity, the red light does turn on, and then people go, wow, that's, that's not so good, or that's not the person that I thought it was, or where is that personality and character that existed when they played? And sometimes it's very, very difficult for people to make that transition. And then they go away. You know, I was lucky enough that, like I said, I had had a little bit of experience. I knew what I was getting into. And, you know, then it's, then it's about relationships and recognizing what the, the viewer and ultimately what your employer wants and how to adjust your performance and to make sure that you are giving your employer what they want in terms of how you are going about broadcasting it, not being an asshole, all right, doing your work, all right, not complaining about the best job in the world as far as I'm concerned out there and a job that anybody and their mother would love to be able to uh, have and come and take it away from you uh, and recognizing how fortunate uh, you are and being appreciative of not just the people on camera that you're working with, but all of the men and women that are making you look good on a consistent basis. One of them who I have had the pleasure and the privilege of uh, hanging out with uh, on the State of the Union podcast all these years. Uh, someone, like, uh, someone like David Mossy. So anyway, that, that was my, my pathway, and it's a much more traditional pathway. It's a lot, let's be honest, it's a lot harder when you don't have that background uh, that comes and that credibility, quote unquote, credibility that comes from uh, being a player. Mossy, how did you get to sitting in this seat right now here on Zoom, staring at me here in 2020-21? In brief. Well, obviously, born and raised in Brazil, so huge soccer fan and always uh, had a real interest in, in the history of the game and had a good memory and information retention and, and, and love stats and records and milestones and stuff like that. And so, 
Um, when I when I got to college, I, I first of all I worked for the Michigan School newspaper as a sports writer, and I did summer internships at all these places, Fox, ESPN. So that's where I made all my contacts in the business, and and I was able to go from there. And 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 the thing I would say is it's probably not as much this way today as it was back in my day, but I think it probably still is to some degree. Um, soccer is a real nice niche to have. It, there's still not that many people at these companies that are that are real soccer experts. So if you can just sheer knowledge of the game, it can make you a, a real asset at, at, at these sports companies. So I think if you have that and, and you're, you're a hard worker and, and, and you know, I, I think that 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 will take you a long way, you know, if that's the, the career path that you want to go. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that, that are universal when you're talking about, you know, cause, um, Eric obviously is coming out of college and I, I, I get emails every day. I get, uh, letters every day. People, people stop me when I'm, <laughs> when I'm out in public and say, what, what do I, what do I have to do? I mean, look, you got to work. Uh, no matter who you are, uh, you have to make sure you're getting in contact with the right people. And to Mossy's point, the soccer world is not as big as other sports worlds out there. And so getting to the people in that sense and the right people is, is easier. And having something uh, to show and having something to give of value and it might be direct and very, very obvious as to what it is. And it might be, uh, you know, something that's not as obvious. And you're going to have to sell yourself. And you're going to have to, you know, prove why you over this person should be considered for something, uh, for something like that. And, you know, I, um, I wish you well. I wish you well, Eric. And, uh, you know, I've talked about this before. It does make me so happy and warms my heart that, there is a whole generation that is coming up and is looking specifically at soccer as to where they want to go and not necessarily as a, uh, a stepping stone to the, I don't know, to the Westminster dog show or something like that. All right, uh, moving on here. Jim from Florida. What does Jim from Florida have to say here on uh, the State of the Union? Uh, hi, guys. This is Jim from Florida. Uh, first off, I just want to say thank you for in including the voicemail option since uh, some of us are not interested in having social media, so it's, it's nice to be able to interact with uh, the show. Uh, my question is this. Alexi, what is life like playing soccer as a former professional? So how often do you get to play the game? Who are you playing with? And uh, have you and David, have you guys ever played soccer together, and, and what was that like? Anyway, love the show. Thanks. Bye. Okay, Jim. Uh, that is a that is a good question. Um, let's let's take the part about did we um, you know playing first, and then I want to get back to the social media question, but um, not question, but the, the statement that you make because I think it's really really important and interesting. I do not play a lot of soccer, and certainly haven't played a lot of soccer in the last year and a half. Before that, I played some pickup soccer. I would do charity games, that kind of stuff. Um, Obviously, from a physical perspective, I, I can't necessarily do what I did before. But that that isn't even that isn't even the thing. I I don't enjoy playing soccer as much as you might think, or even I might think I would. And and that's for this reason: I have a real difficult time um, regulating. Uh, what level I should be at and dealing with. The, you know the physical and mental desire to be uh, to be competitive, and so what ends up happening is 
you know, I don't want to be that jerk that's running around aggro all over the place that's going 100 miles an hour. Um, and I also don't want to be the guy that doesn't care. And so I end up somewhere in that middle thing, which is this this purgatory and this horrible position to be in because you end up uh, you, you end up pulling punches and doing things that you wouldn't normally do, but you but you also end up not being not tapping into that competitive part that that you've always kind of tapped into. So it's uh, it's it's a really difficult thing to do. I wish I enjoyed it more. Don't don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't love the game. I love the game, but the actual playing of the game does. I don't derive the same sense of uh, of joy that I once did. And and I haven't I haven't fallen out of love with the game. Don't don't get me wrong. And I don't. I'm not sure if I explained that correctly, but I hope people out there can at least try to understand that. I remember. Many years ago, this must have been like 2013, 14, something like that. I, I attended a U.S.-Mexico old-timers game at the StubHub Center. Does that ring a bell at all for you? Yeah, yeah. Both absolutely. you and Winalda yeah. played in it. And you were like by far the best player on the field because you still played like a normal game. It was ostensibly like an exhibition and everybody was kind of having some fun. But you don't I could tell you don't you can't shut that part of your brain off or you still played like a proper soccer match and you were like dominating <laughs> the action. It was, it was kind of funny it's, to see. It's very difficult. It's, it's very difficult. I wish I, I wish I could because there is a part of me that misses that joy. I haven't tapped into it for, for very long. So I don't know, maybe it's a challenge out there to find that, that oasis <laughs> for me where it, it rekindles that joy uh, that, I, uh, that I had. So I, I'm, and I'm, it's not for lack of trying, and I will not stop trying to, you know, my, my continued quest and search to get back to that, uh, that moment of joy. Um, uh, we have played together, Mossy. I think we had a retreat, a Fox retreat years ago, where there was a, uh, a, a, a pickup type of game that happened, which is where I saw that magical left foot of yours and that Brazilian style come out. Well, you know, my, my hero is the Brazilian Ronaldo, but unfortunately I've emulated also his eating habits. So uh, I used to be pretty good back in the day when I could combine my skills with fitness and, but that is no longer the case. So yeah, in that retreat uh, you mentioned, uh, I think I was very good for the first five minutes of the game. And then I ran out of gas and was just like huffing and puffing the rest. No, of you were very good. I mean, look, it didn't, it doesn't take anybody at any level to recognize when they see somebody that knows what they're doing. And there's, there is this phenomenon when you work in soccer where you work in soccer, but you're not playing soccer with people. And then inevitably the ball will come out. And it's a really fun and interesting thing to see the people that you have seen in a different context, either in a cubicle or behind a, uh, you know, at a desk or, uh, or in a, you know, a studio or something like that. And to actually see them playing the game that has, is such a huge part of our life uh, going forward. Uh, okay. The other part of this though, from Jim, the fact that you don't have social media, look, I, I know that that our podcast and, and much of what we do is derives from a lot of the stuff that comes out on, uh, on social media. But as, as I've said before, uh, you know, Twitter or any type of social media out there, while at times we, we, we use it as a focus group, it is a, it is not a focus group. It is oftentimes an, an echo chamber. And I'm so glad that you are able to participate in this. Cause once again, I talked earlier about not being exclusionary in the way that we go about doing this. And I'm glad that we have found a way to involve you in this show. Um, that doesn't necessarily involve, 
social media or traditional social media uh, that we have out there. Because it can give us a very warped perception of what the world is, what truth is, who people are, uh, who people aren't out there. But I do think that it has its uses and we are trying to use it in the best way that we possibly can. But uh, in no way do I want to exclude anybody out there that either doesn't have social media or just doesn't want to get involved. And I completely understand you have to wade through an incredible deluge of excrement in order to get to the good stuff. There is good stuff there, but there's a lot of crap uh, along the way. And so I completely understand, and I'm glad that we were able to get you uh, and maybe others out there that want to use this as a way to communicate and make their uh, voice heard that, once again, just aren't involved in social media. All right, one last uh, Ask Alexi here, and it comes from John in Atlanta. Hey, this is John in Atlanta calling. I just had a quick question for Mossy, actually. Alexi, you're good, too. But... um, I just wanted to ask, uh, seeing that penalty that Pulisic uh, converted the other day, I just wanted to know on all your stats, who was the best penalty kicker ever? Uh, who had the best um, goal scoring rate? And on the other hand, too, who had the most, uh, who was the best goalkeeper at keeping those penalties from coming in? Appreciate it. Love the pod. Thanks, guys. All right, John, uh, you're not the first to direct your question to Mossy and, and your. Uh Uh, and your praise. Uh, And I think it's completely justified uh, going forward. So I'm going to let Mossy take this about the best penalty takers in history and uh, penalty stoppers, I guess uh, his question referenced. Well, um, it's a bit of an inexact science. I did some Googling right before this podcast and there have been different studies done, but uh, uh, they don't seem to all agree on who the best penalty kick taker is. Uh, Letitier had, had a fantastic record. I believe it was 47 out of 48. So he's up there. But there was a there's a Croatian player who, Kristanovic, who evidently has never missed in 30-something attempts. So maybe it's him. So I don't have a great answer there. I will say a guy who was terrific on penalties was Mario Balotelli. He went years without missing. And uh, so I, I expect that in any study you do, he'd be up there as well. In terms of... Uh, Stopping penalties that just I test the last years, the two that jump out for me are Samir Handanovic and uh, Diego Alves. Uh, Diego Alves, who played Brazilian, played many years in Spain, and he's now back with Flamengo, Handanovic, Inter Milan. Um, and, and those two guys are absolutely amazing at it. And, and again, I'll get back to you on exact numbers, but I'm sure any study that's done, those two guys are going to be right up there because they, they were lights out for many, many years. Yeah, I mean, there's speaking of studies, there's all sorts of uh, studies out there about the percent. I mean, it's like 80% of the penalties go in. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But, um, and then, you know, I, I, I think I remember a study where they looked at those that reacted to the referee's whistle when the whistle blew and then they, they, they acted as opposed to those who heard the whistle took a beat and a moment and then reacted to themselves deciding to take the penalty as opposed to letting the referee's whistle dictate them that you should take the penalty now they are more successful when it comes from the initiative of the player as opposed to off of the initiative of the uh of the whistle i can't i can't remember where i where i saw that maybe i didn't see that who knows uh but uh there's all sorts of different things uh, things out there it is an art it is a it is a skill it is um obviously (laughs) changes the course of uh of games and uh and careers uh careers for that matter 
All right, listen, thank you to Eric, Jim, and uh, John for their audio questions here on Ask Alexi. You too can be like them and have your voice heard here by dialing 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. That is the State of the Union hotline. Uh, and that's what they used this week. And we went with all audio questions this week. But don't don't think that we're stopping the Ask Alexi with the hashtag out there on all the social media platforms out there. You can certainly get to us. Uh, some of it appears on the uh, pod. I'm always screaming and yelling uh, back and forth with people over there, uh, especially on the on the Twitter machine when it comes to asking me uh, asking me questions. But do use that hashtag. And thank you for everybody for uh, continuing to send in uh, your questions. All right, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, oh yeah, it's time. It is time for my One for the Road. All right, we're back and we've come to the end of yet another State of the Union podcast. And at the end of each podcast, I give you my One for the Road. Uh, News broke this morning when we woke up here on Tuesday that the great Jamie Vardy, uh, English uh, legend at this point, um, when it comes to his amazing goal scoring prowess and his amazing story <laughs> in terms of how he came to be a uh, a superstar he is a new investor minority investor in the Rochester Rhinos up there in Rochester uh, New York now why does this matter is is important because a lot of people we're scratching our heads as to why this ultimately has happened. First off, who cares why it ultimately happened? Eventually, we'll get the story on what the connection is uh, is out there. But I think it shows uh, shows a couple things. Um, one that uh, the Rochester is thinking outside of the box. Two that Jamie Vardy, along with a lot of other people, continue to look at the United States and North America as. Uh, untapped in terms of investment possibilities in the professional game at multiple levels, at an all levels. And it's not anymore just about kicking the tires out there. They really see that there is a entryway to club ownership that exists over here that is unique and different. And uh, But, you know, there's still a lot of people who will say, well, why Rochester? And for those of you that are, that are young out there, and I, I tweeted this out this morning, um, believe it or not, there was a time many decades ago, when Rochester, New York was looked at as the soccer city in in the U.S., in that the organization up there, the stadium situation, and most importantly, the culture was like the way in which we talk about, let's say, Portland nowadays, in that they were educated, they were passionate, they were numerous, they supported not just their team, but they supported the sport and the culture surrounding the the, uh, the sport in terms of the that supporters' culture, the singing and the colors and 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 all of that in a in a authentic and genuine and credible way before it became in vogue to do so in so many different places. And when you thought about playing a game in Rochester, and I played games in Rochester. Uh, you knew you were going into an environment that was that was soccer. And we didn't have a lot of places out there. And unfortunately, it's also a, a case study in the way that the world and the soccer world moved on and kind of left Rochester behind. And it's a pity, and I don't claim to be on the ground or know why. I'm just talking to you actually from the outside in terms of the way that I perceived 
Rochester at the time, decades ago, and now the way that Rochester is perceived relative to the soccer city that it once that it once was. Who knows if the if Jamie Vardy and company return it to its former glory and give it back its its credibility in the soccer verse, the American soccer verse out out there. That may or may not happen, but it, it also shows how how far we've come and how much the soccer world in the United States has expanded and how we now look at so many other places as soccer cities with, in the same way that I just defined a previous version of, of Rochester, so much so exists in a lot of these places around, around the country. And you can, you can kill the golden goose and it can be a, it can be a, um, a cautionary tale in what you are right now relative to what you are 20 and 30 years down the line. So here's hoping to a, uh, a renaissance, if you will, um, and a return to glory for the great city of Rochester through this and other things uh, that they do. We'll see, if it, uh, we'll see if it can happen. But congratulations to Jamie Vardy. Congratulations to Rochester and uh, Viva Rochester. Uh, the only non-MLS team ever to win a U.S. Um, in, the, in the modern age, a uh, U.S. Um, Open Cup, Lamar Hunt Open Cup. I remember that back in 19... What was it? 1999. I remember watching the great Yari Allnut was part of that team. Um, there are some of you out, out there will remember what I'm talk, talking about. And if you don't, it's okay because there is a soccer history when it comes to our sport and when it comes to our country. Sometimes we don't talk about it. A lot of it, unfortunately, has been forgotten, but it, it exists. And if you take the time, I think you will find it's incredibly robust and interesting um, and unique. And whether it's Rochester or any place uh, else out there. All right, Mossy, anything else before we go? That's it. All right, as we said, we continue to roll on with our Copa America coverage over there. We'll continue to watch uh, Euros uh, as they roll uh, as they roll on. The return of Major League Soccer after taking a, a three week break here, and all sorts of other stuff that's happening both on and off the field. And we will bring it to you as we do each and every week here on the State of the Union podcast. Until then, and as always, size the day. <laughs> 